The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Yeah, it's called conversations with Jeff, not screaming matches. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism, but look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. When you should be out there winning people for Jesus, right? Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though. And so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth. And then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Okay, everybody, welcome to uh, Conversations with Jeff. Again, um, just like uh, last week when we had Ian Giotti for the first um, episode that we streamed live for you guys, uh, for, the, for those of you guys that are watching this live, uh, this is for uh, the plugged-in members only um, for, the, for the live stream version. So as we are uh, doing this, make sure you guys are asking questions throughout this podcast if you guys, if, uh, if you guys have any questions, want comments, more clarification, whatever it is, let us know. And then at the end, we'll be asking our guests, uh, these questions. We'll have a quick Q&A session that will be exclusive for members of Plugged In. For those of you guys that are watching on the recorded version on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that kind of stuff, make sure you guys go to gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in. You guys can sign up for the membership. I think it's like 10 bucks a month. Um, but you guys will get access to a lot of these live streams. Uh, a lot of the pre-recorded podcasts will be coming out a day early, and we'll add some other fun perks in there as well. Um, but another quick update as well uh, before I introduce our guest for this week is um, we've got the book Social Injustice, and we're just closing pre-orders right now. Uh, we are finalizing the layout of the book and off to the printer here extremely shortly. We've even got the page down, the page countdown. We've got everything, you know, all together. Um, as soon as I get a release date, I will let you know. And then we are off to the races with that. So really excited to get that book to you because there's going to be a lot of great information. Um, you know, all of the authors did an amazing job writing their chapters. And uh, really excited for you guys to be able to read it. So um, as, we're, as we're moving on to this podcast tonight... Introducing one of the uh, one of the authors in the book that we've had on once before, but we're bringing back Patrick Wyatt or Patrick No Compromise Wyatt that you guys know from the Shining Light podcast. Welcome back, Patrick. I'm glad we could uh, do this again. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it ever since we uh, talked about doing this again, 
And look, time's flown by, and here we are. I know. Well, you know, and like that's the th- that's the thing too is I feel like you know we could have we could have the same guests on over and over and over, and there's so many different topics to discuss because there's so much happening both in the church, within politics, within society in general. It's just it's it's nuts the the cro- the turnover of all the different things that are just coming across m- my desk and everybody's desk. Yeah, that's it, it, just crazier and crazier stuff sometimes. So yeah, it's hard to keep up with it, but that's kind of what we do, isn't it? I mean, it's it's relevant. It's what's going on and uh, needs needs to be talked about. There's a lot of people don't really understand some of this stuff. It's up to folks like us to kind of help out with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's it's really funny because I keep thinking, okay, I need to I need to get back to writing consistent blogs, and I'm like, what do I write about? And like, literally, I'll have an idea, and I'm like, okay, I'll write about that tomorrow, and then something else comes up, and I'm like. Crud. Yeah. Now, now what do I write about? <laughs> you know, it's. You can get very quick with the way news flies around now. Exactly. It's like I should, I need to be writing like five blogs a day just to keep up with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I know we were kind of briefly talking, uh, before we went on air and I know we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, what's going on in Israel and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's important that we as Christians in the church kind of keep up on what's going on. Um, for a couple different reasons. One, obviously, is like the whole, just the political, you know, things that are going on in general. But the other side of it too is the theological and the eschatological, if that's, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, issue. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if dealing with those issues, because I feel like we're having, we're coming to like a head within the church between those that are saying that, you know, the church replaces Israel versus the promises for Israel. And there's some anti-Semitism thrown in there as well. It's, there's a lot of kind of chaos, both outside the church and in the church dealing with Israel. Um, if you could just explain for people that maybe don't know, like what's going on that is kind of like piqued your interest over the last few, uh, over the last few days that we should be aware of. Well, Gaza, which used to be called Philistia, that's where the Philistines were headquartered back in ancient times. It's kind of an autonomous area of Israel right now where the uh, terrorist group Hamas is the controlling force there. So they kind of, right now it's blockaded off because every time they've allowed building materials and that sort of thing to come in free flow, the Gazans, if you want to call them that, but mainly Hamas, some of these terrorist groups, and there's others there as well, use this these building materials and other things to build tunnels into Israel. They call them attack tunnels. It's just a constant war against Israel. Now Hamas in the Jewish word, is the word for violence. So that's why they name themselves Hamas. It's violence. They're an organization sworn to the destruction of Israel. So this is what Israel is dealing with within its own borders. This group of people, um, they call themselves Palestinians, right? There was a Palestine. There is no such thing as a Palestinian people. But nonetheless, these these people, Muslims particularly, uh, by faith, are trying to destroy Israel. So every once in a while, stuff flares up and happens. Well, recently... Israel killed one of the senior commanders of Hamas. And, of course, that set off the latest rounds of rocket attacks into Israel. What I was reading a while ago is pretty much from Tel Aviv. Everywhere else south of that has some sort of a, a warning going. There's Iron Dome missiles intercepting the rockets coming out of Gaza. There's even talk of a ground incursion by the Israelis into Gaza, kind of put an end to this stuff. But this has been ongoing. Um, it happens all the time, unfortunately. Uh, Israel surrounded by its enemies. So, and a lot of this is pushed by Iran as well. So, yeah, you were right. It has a lot of eschatological issues going on there, particularly in my mind is the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war, the war of Gog and Magog. And the prime characters in that now are actually in the area. You have Turkey, you have Russia, you have Syria, you have Iran, 
Um, and there's we, this, that particular uh, passage the Bible talks about and others with them. So uh, anyway, you never know if this is going to be the time. So we just kind of watch and see what's happening. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think I think what's interesting is that I feel like you know looking at history. It's like we, I feel like we've always been at the at the edge of Christ could return at any point, you know, and and especially right. more more recently as well. And I think a lot of people tend to, you know, that are more pre-trib and that sort of thing. They start they start looking at okay, now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time. And it's like okay, let's just sit back. God's in control. He he know, he knows when he's going to do it. And uh, yeah, but that's the time figured out. Yeah, I mean he he knows he knows better than I do. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but but I think I think. Something that I think that's going on in the church right now is I think that there there's a lot of debate about the nation of Israel uh, from a theological perspective, um, you know, because and I think, you know, a lot of it is dealing with people that are, is, it, is it more like a mill and post mill and some of the different things where it's it starts to get into, you know, where it doesn't matter anything about Israel at all, like when we're looking at biblical theology, how important is Israel to our theology and eschatology? Israel is where, what it's all about, the apple of God's eye. God made a promise in Genesis chapter 12 that he would bless those that bless Israel, or talking to Abraham and his descendants, which became Israel, and curse those that cursed Israel. So Israel's never fallen out of favor with God. Yes, they were separated for 2,000 years, but in Isaiah it was talking about has anybody ever seen such a thing? A nation become one in one day. Well, that happened in 1948 by UN decree um, through the Balfour Accord, which happened a few years earlier, reorganizing and getting the Jewish people together again, which is an amazing thing. A nation that had been extinct for near 2,000 years comes back into being. The people who'd been scattered abroad kept their culture and were able to come back and go to their, their old homeland, so to speak, and become a nation once again. So, yeah, God knows what he's doing. Israel still is the apple of God's eyes. The end-time events will be about bringing Israel finally to the recognition of the Messiah, Jesus. And that then will put an end to things. But those that say the church has replaced Israel, that's not right at all. That's that's not biblical. God keeps his promises. Yeah, you know, it, 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 I, I get to a certain degree where some of those guys are coming from when they're saying that the church replaces Israel. Because, you know, like, I understand their thinking but then when you look at actually passages in context and you look at the overall narrative of scripture, it's like, it's clear that when, when John is writing Revelation, looking into the future, he's specifically talking about Israel. Like if you're, if you're talking about prophecy into the future, John would have known, Hey, Israel doesn't matter. He would, he would have used the word the church or something along those lines. It's like, to me, that's just, it's just common sense. So, so like when, when we're looking at this issue and we're looking at, okay, so the church doesn't replace Israel. We're looking at, you know, eschatology and that sort of thing. What What's behind this big push right now of a lot of the leaders that's basically saying, eh, Israel doesn't really matter. You know, we don't, we don't necessarily need to support them. We don't necessarily need to defend them or be allies or whatever it is because the church, you know, is Israel essentially. Well, we were grafted in. You know, we were the branch that was grafted in the Gentiles. Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles. He took the good news of the gospel to all people. So we, we're grafted in as far as salvation goes. But as far as these, these people today, um, you notice that they have one thing in common, those that don't like Israel, whether it's within the church or politically speaking. These are liberals. These are leftists. Um, that's the common theme. Satan hates the Jews. 
He's always hated the Jews. They're God's chosen people. Through them came the Messiah, and through the Messiah will come his final destination in the lake of fire. So he's kind of angry. He knows he has a limited amount of time to, to do what he's trying to do, whatever crazy plan he's got now, trying to stop what God's already ordained. I mean, he's going to still try to do it. I mean, what else has he got to do? But, uh, yeah, you have these people bad-mouthing Israel, and you see it's it's a concerted effort, like hatred of the Jewish people, hatred of Israel. This is not a biblical thing. This is a political thing, and this is what happens when Satan kind of has control of your thoughts and your minds. He will turn you against everything that God has ordained, and certainly God's people and the chosen nation of Israel is something that uh, Satan seems to stir the hearts of those he has control with. Yeah, you know, and, and, I, and I think part of the proof that goes into the fact that that this is that this is actually like a hatred for Israel is yeah. is is simply the fact that Israel is the most free nation in the Middle East. It's the only one that is right. free for everybody. You know, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Christian, whatever it is, like everybody's able to vote. Like yeah. w- women have the most freedom out of out of any nation in 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 the Middle East, but yet the UN keeps coming down on them for you know, crimes against humanity and like all, all the, all these crazy accusations. When you look at the horrific things that are going on in the other countries in the Middle East and everybody turns a blind eye. And I, and I think that that kind of shows the bias that's going on here. And it's not rooted in any form of truth. It's rooted in this anti-Israel, you know, bias that I think fully goes into, you know, our, you know, eschatology and fits in perfectly. Well, I've been to a few of those nations over there and I can tell you for sure. And I've been to Israel. What you said is exactly right, that there's freedom in Israel you don't have anywhere else in the Middle East. All other areas practically are under Sharia law. Uh, well, that's kind of repetitive. Sharia is law. So, um, yeah, you, you can't – I mean, you can talk religion or whatever, right? Then I sit in the old city and, and talked with a Palestinian Muslim money changer, and we could talk freely. I couldn't do that in a lot of those other nations. If I represent anything Christian, that could be a capital offense. So um, – yeah, it, it's really interesting that Israel defends itself, gets accused of crimes against humanity. They're expected to take these multiple terrorist attacks and rockets attack. It's been the history of their whole country since they were a nation again, is to be repeatedly attacked. Now realize there's only about some 7 million Jewish people in Israel. They're surrounded by some 350 million Muslims. And there's been a, several attempts to wipe them out with overwhelming force. And each time, God has defended his people. And uh, that says a lot about does God still care about Israel? If he didn't, there wouldn't be an Israel today. Yeah. No, that, 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 that is, that is a very true statement. And I think it's important that, that we remember that is that like there's still an existence against all odds because in all reality, if, if all those other nations banded together, which a lot of them have against Israel, I mean, if God wasn't there protecting them, they would be no more. Like it, that's to me, that's not even a question. It would, it's because I mean, like you were even just say, st- stating the numbers, however hundreds of millions of people surrounding them and then just a handful of millions in Israel. I mean, that that's pretty crazy that they're still in existence and they're still the one beacon of freedom and truth. And the, th- and the fact that they defend the freedoms of people that they disagree with, I think goes to show how, how rare that is in the Middle East because you don't, like you're saying, you don't get that anywhere else. And that's pretty crazy to me. Yeah. It, and, you know, Israel is a technologically advanced nation. Um, it's a great place to visit. If you ever get a chance to do so, I would suggest you do that. But they're they're there, surrounded by their enemies. 
And these guys are always constantly planning. Um, Iran has claimed they have some 200,000 missiles aimed at Israel right now, you know, and, and threatening we're going to wipe you off the map and all this sort of thing. Of course, if they thought they could do it, they'd already have tried it. I mean, they, they've got no love lost for Israel. But Israel remains. And the thing about Israel today is, though, Israel, some people tend to think of Israel as like this uh, nation that's, that's uh, following God. They're a very secular nation, too. Um, as is their history, they're kind of stiff-necked and stubborn. They There, there are some observant Jews, um, and then there's some Christian Jews, Messianic uh, Jewish people, Messianic Christians. But the thing is, the nation as a whole, is very much like what the United States has become. And the Bible tells us in these latter times, they're going to go through a pretty rough patch before they finally have nobody else to lean on, acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, and then God will save them. So all he's waiting for is an acknowledgement from his people of, of his son. And when that happens, that's when the end of human history will happen. But there's a lot of hurting to go on because stubborn man, they're just like we are. They want to do their own thing. So, uh, But God's even then, God's great love and mercy. He still protects his people. He still protects Christians. But a reckoning is coming for both Israel, the United States, and the world for the wickedness that we've been perpetrating against him for so long. Yeah. Now, now, you know, I, I hear the pa- I hear this passage being thrown around that that you know, t- and I forget what the reference is off the top of my head. But when we're talking about like you know the fact that we need to defend Israel and that you know like we we shouldn't be opposing them at all, or else you know es- essentially you know God will turn his back on us and that and that sort of thing. Um, like, is, is that something that you're seeing happening within the church where even like the church is turning its back on, on Israel and, and that sort of thing? Well, it's almost like part of social justice that we talk about. Part of social justice is, um, and and what they've done with social justice, they've made it basically a liberal gathering point for all liberal ideas and they call it social justice. So there's a sizable contingent in the social justice field that looks over there they want to look at the Israelis as apartheid and, and mean against these people. They've taken their land. It's the same old Marxist nonsense we hear, just kind of updated for that particular situation. So, yeah, that, that's what's going on is this social justice idea, taking the land away. Um, it's the Israelis get blamed. Anybody that stands in their way is, is a, you know, like us or anybody in our country that thinks similar to us. We're part of the problem. Well, yeah, Israel. That's that's become part of their um, part of their mantra now is being anti-Israeli, divest from Israel, and like you said, especially in the church, churches that are being taken over by social justice, especially, are more inclined to be this way and fall into that particular group as well. Yeah, you know, and, and I think and I think one of the things that you and I may have talked about this last time, I'm not sure. And then I know that you know I talked about this with Andy Woods when I had him on the podcast as well. And I know he writes extensively on about this in his chapter in the book Social Injustice. But is ju- it, but is just that this idea that a lot of these Christian leaders that are going a lot more progressive and leftist and embracing a lot of the social justice stuff. It's like what they're doing is they is they have this mentality of kingdom now theology where they're trying to establish God's kingdom here on earth and it's like they they have to they have to establish this here before Christ can either return for his millennial reign or you know whatever combination of bad theology there is right but practically speaking what they're actually doing is they're actually establishing the antichrist kingdom exactly. but yeah you know I mean yeah. I mean think about all the things that they're pushing is everything that the Antichrist is trying to establish for essentially for the tribulation, whether it's open borders, whether it's one world currency, whether it's, 
any form of social justice, but then also the attacks on Israel. Why? It's like, why are all these things that align with the Antichrist fitting in with these progressive social justice warriors that are that are claimed to be Christians? And, yeah, it's the one world religious system that they're actually, they don't realize that that's exactly what they're working toward. This idea of kingdom now theology goes back quite a while. It goes back to Walter Rauschenbusch. He started a group called Brotherhood of the Kingdom in 1892. And he, with his social gospel, that's exactly what he believed that was necessary for Christians or Marxist Christians. And that's, you know, there's, that's a misnomer there. No such thing. But his idea of a Christian was to be a socialist. And we had to go out and collectively make society a better place so that Christ could return. That would usher in the rest of the millennial kingdom. Now, you'll hear some people today like Al Mohler saying not yet, not or now, but how does he say that? Now, but not yet. Already, but not already, but not yet. That's mm-hmm. how he says it. Saying that the kingdom's kind of here right now, Christ reign in our heart, but but he's ushering it in. And, and I don't know if he's implying, but these people are going back to the old social gospel that we have to go out there and make things better so Christ can return. Well, I read the Bible. Things aren't getting better when Christ returns. Things are going to be absolutely dreadful when Christ returns, and he's going to have to return to shorten those days, lest no flesh should be saved, as he said in his all of that discourse. So things aren't getting progressively better. By progressive progressivism, they're getting a lot worse, and that's biblical. Christ doesn't need us to establish his kingdom. When he comes back, he'll do that by his own might and power. All you and I need to be is make sure that we're going to be citizens in that future kingdom. Yeah, and it's a, it's a really weird thinking when you think about it because basically what that's doing is it's making God smaller and us bigger when you think about it because it's basically yeah. saying God can't – God cannot send Christ back until you and I do our job. Like he, yeah, he's he, on our timing. Exactly. He he needs you and I for him to, to establish his kingdom as opposed to the fact that maybe – God is sovereignly in control of everything, and maybe he knows better timing than you and I do. Like, that's just a, a crazy thought, but I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, he doesn't need you and I. Now, he does need us to go out and fulfill the Great Commission, and we're to tell the good news of the gospel. So that we're supposed to do. But as far as this other stuff, um, sometimes we take on tasks that it, and try to do the heavy lifting and wear ourselves out in doing so. And, of course, the great thing Satan likes about it, we're distracted away from doing what we're supposed to do. Get us on these side, you know, to do some good works. Satan doesn't necessarily hate good works, as long as they're not being associated with God. Even a good work can be damaging to us if we start focusing on works. We need to focus on what we're primarily doing. And along the way, if there's some good works to be done, praise God, let's do it. Let's give God the glory for it. But uh, let's always keep in mind, we're, we get our instruction from the Bible, not some of these political philosophers. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's really interesting talking about the focus on works because I feel like that that's become a big a big thing dealing with this whole like Kanye West thing and Justin Peters fiasco and all of that. And I, we don't necessarily need to get into the personalities of all that, but just in the sense of right now there is this big push coming from my own camp of the Calvinists, but of make making it about works and that you have to prove your salvation. And, and that sort of thing. And again, this, this kind of fits up with their, a lot of their eschatology of, you know, we have to do all these good works. We got to do, push this social justice. We got to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. It's like, it's kind of starting to sound a lot like the Pharisees in the Catholic Church here. Um, but, you know, de- dealing, dealing with that, how, like, what, what's your take on where works fall in, into the Christian life and where it's important, where it's not important and, and that sort of thing? Well, works are not required at all for salvation. It's, it's 
our faith in, in Christ alone. He did it all. He did it all on the cross. I don't have to do a thing. I don't have to do anything to prove um, that I believe in Jesus, but I do have to believe in Jesus. I have to believe in Jesus in the Bible. And that's where you kind of get hung up sometimes. There's all these false conceptions of Jesus out there, being especially pushed by social justice and some of these other ideas. So people are believing in a concept, but not in the biblical Jesus. They make Jesus as just a name to be sold. We have to seek Jesus in the Bible, understand who he is. And when we understand who Jesus is, we understand who we are before a holy God. That's a repentance, a changing of mind. And we have to go from disbelief to belief in Jesus. So once we do that, now see, I was like this. Once I got saved, I was pretty happy to be saved. Got my get out of hell free card, and then I was kind of free to, to live my life the way I wanted to. I didn't realize there's this other thing called sanctification. Now, as you grow in your faith, and as you understand that you have a purpose here in life, and God has a plan for you, and once you give yourself more and more over to that plan and to God, wanting to please God and, and His ways become your ways, then you, out of your heart, you don't have to try to force yourself to do good works. These become part of your character, even if you're not naturally inclined towards that. God transforms you and changes you, and this becomes something you take joy in. So works are a product of faith. They're a demonstration of faith, not in the fact that I have to do them to prove that I'm going to heaven, but the fact that I want to do them because God has done so much for me. And he gives you a love for people that maybe you didn't have before, and you want to do these things because you care about people. So it's not an effort thing even. It's really becomes more of a joy, and it takes time, right? Um, but it's, it's a process. So we're all on that road of, of, I hope, sanctification. That is becoming more and more like God, set aside for God's holy purposes. And it's not something we should begrudgingly be worried about. Open yourself up to God. Let him do the change in your heart and mind the way you see things. I know he's done a lot for me. Thank God I'm a lot different person I used to be. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I feel like to a certain degree as well, Everybody's becoming fruit inspectors now, and every, everybody's looking to, you know, judge somebody's salvation based off of their fruit. Um, but you know, I feel like that passage isn't necessarily talking about salvation when it's talking about like you, you know a good tree, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. Isn't that talking about like false teachers and the Pharisees and that sort of thing? That's what I was talking about. You're absolutely right, and that's a very good point to make. That passage of the Bible was talking about those that claim to be in a position of authority, a teacher, a preacher, a pastor, anybody that's proclaiming Christ from a leadership position, it's talking about them. So they're producing fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit are they producing? If they're lying, and there's a lot of this, as you know, and a lot of these big ministries, a lot of these big parachurch organizations, um, they sound pretty good. They're pretty slick until you actually look at what they're saying and compare it against the Bible. They have their own agendas. And they are not producing good fruit. And uh, our job in that instance is to point out false teachers. Paul spent a lot of time in the Bible. Peter, uh, John, James, Jude, all talking about the uh, cancer of false teaching, even then that was creeping into the church. Well, Satan's been pretty busy over the last 2,000 years. He didn't give up on that. It's, it's pretty, been pretty successful, leading to these end days of apostasy, where meaning a lot of what's taught in the church, especially a lot of the new stuff, these new ideas, they're not biblical. They're of the enemy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I and I think that the like looking at the way that false teaching has been infiltrating the church lately. Um, I kind of talked about this a little bit in my talk at uh, at the Standing Against Marxism conference. But part of I think what's dangerous about this social justice push right now, and just in general, is that the gospel is being compromised, but it's very subtle. 
Like a lot, a lot of these issues are coming. They're very subtle. They're blended together with biblical language and Bible verses and that sort of thing, which makes yeah. them that much more believable. But yeah. if you change the gospel five percent, it's no longer the gospel. So even if you if you just change a little bit, all of a sudden now you're changing the entire thing. And I think that that's why a lot of this is so dangerous, is because the subtlety of it makes it less obvious. And I think what's happening is a lot of people are saying. Well, that pastor, he's like 95% correct. So why are you harping on that 5%? It's like, maybe that 5% is really dangerous and you shouldn't be given that 5% of pass because of the 95%. Well, truth only remains truth as long as it's purely the truth. Once you adulterate truth with the lies, what you have now is a more believable lie. So the truth that's spread into there is kind of like the bait on a hook. All you see is the bait when you're the fish. But the hook's underneath there, and the hook is the purpose of the bait. Realize what the bait is for, and that's what these lies are about. Yeah, if you can change it just a little bit, well, Satan works incrementally. So if I can get you to accept this little thing, then I'll move along, and now you're going to be set up to accept the next little thing. Jesus said a little bit of leaven, leaven up the whole lump, meaning a little bit of yeast in the bread, the whole lump of bread will rise because of that yeast. The same thing with a lie. If we allow any sort of lies into the truth, it ceases to be truth, and it becomes a pattern of lies leading us in a very definitive direction. The question becomes, how much lie will we accept? Is it 5%, as you said? Well, if you went 5, why not 7? Well, how about 10? How far are you going to go till you say enough is enough? And I say that there's no compromise with that sort of thing. The Bible is the truth. If, if you do add to or take away from that, if you try to twist it, like you were saying, the Christian sounding lingo, these people are experts at using that. And people drop their guard. Oh, he said God. He said Jesus. Oh, he said gospel. Oh, he must be one of us. I'm just going to lower my guard now, listen to what he has to say, or she. And that's a real danger. We need to be reading our Bible so we know when somebody starts to pull a fast one, exactly what's going on. And it needs to be questioned. Yeah, well, you know, and, and I think an example of this too is we need to remember that Satan uses the same strategies across the board. He just adjusts them a little bit here and there. I mean, you look, you look at the cults, right? There's a reason why Mormonism, Freemasonry, Freemasonry, Scientology, like you could almost go through every single cult. They all have different levels. They all start out starting very basic. You know, it's, it's the general widely accepted truths. It gets you in very family oriented, personal development, all that kind of stuff. And then they get they, they just get you to believe one lie, and then you go to level two, and then there's a couple more, and then you get to level three. Because if they just jump to level fifty nine or whatever level that they're talking about, and they're talking about aliens that are indwelling you, dropping into the Pacific Ocean and crawling up on the ocean, you'd be like, "That's crazy talk." But after you've built on top of that fifty nine levels or however many levels it is to get to that point, you've accepted every single step up to that point. You're like, "Well, it makes sense based off of the other fifty eight." You know, and I feel like that's what we're seeing happening in the evangelical church now too. Is that it? It started out with, well, we need to care for the poor. Well, now, now, not only do we have to care for the poor, now the government has to care for the poor. Now we don't have to do it at all. Now it's all the government. It's it's like these little steps, and we're seeing that happen in the evangelical church. And I think that's evidence that Satan's at work here too. And that goes classically back to Marxism: redistribution of wealth, which the government does that. So, yeah, we'll let the government redistribute wealth. All these different schemes of taking money away from people who have earned it and giving it to people that haven't, ultimately the goal is ultimate power, and then everybody gets busted down the same level of poverty. Then there are two classes, the masters in government and the slaves. But the words we're talking about when they say Jesus or gospel, how they, they slick those words in, 
realize, too, that they have a different definition for those words than what you and I have. So when they're saying Jesus, you and I may be thinking, oh, Jesus of the Bible. They've got a different definition of Jesus. But they've got you to lower your guard, now subconsciously at least, they're going to start working on changing your definition of Jesus. And that's what they do with all these words. So when they say gospel or Jesus or whatever else they're talking about, a biblical word, definitions are very important. Define that word for me. What do you mean by that? Give me a definition. Who is Jesus? What is the gospel? Oh, social justice is the gospel. No, social justice isn't the gospel. It isn't part of the gospel. The gospel is pretty simple. And social justice ain't there. Yeah, yeah, and, and again, that that it, that's the problem with organizations like the Gospel Coalition, where they're suppo- the social gospel coalition. Exactly, like they're they're masking the term gospel to now mean whatever it is that they want it to mean to push yeah. their political agenda. Like it's not a gospel coalition; it's a political coalition, and that's the, that's the thing that that's the thing that we have to remember is that they're hiding behind our language. Just like the cults use, just like the false religions use, just like virtually every aspect that Satan uses against the church, they're hiding behind our language, changing the meanings, and then all of a sudden now we're supposed to just accept them with white arms wide open, which overall we have. Yeah, and, and just now, you know, recently with with uh, social injustice and some other people standing up finally, there's some organized pushback, but this has gone on way too long. Nobody wanted to defend anybody or step on anybody's toes or we're all friends here and, you know, you could help my career and all that sort of thing. It's good to see people stand up saying, look, God has called us to truth. He's given us the Bible. We don't need these leftist political operatives that are working within the church. Now, outside the church, they can do some damage. But inside the church, they can do a lot more damage. If you think you're, uh, it's the guys on the outside or the enemies that attack us, we'll hold up our shields against those. The guys on the inside are the ones that are able to influence us and change our thinking. But they are leftist political operatives, and Satan, throughout history, uses political power to push his agenda. Once he's got his people in control, all opposition to his ideas are crushed. Yeah, yeah. is the best way to to work into the church. To change us the way we think and stuff, to get us basically to surrender the truth, then there's no opposition to that. We give up willingly over time to the lies. Yeah, well, you know, it, it it was really easy to oppose social justice or whatever terminology they were using at the time when it was Rick Warren. It was really easy, I mean, at least I thought, when it was Tim Keller or when it was Rob Bell or when it was Brian McLaren. Like, a lot of these obvious guys, it's like... These emerging guys. Yeah, like, those guys, it's like, okay, they're just, they're crazy. They don't believe in the sufficiency of scripture. They don't, they they deny that hell exists or that, you know... I think Rob Bell was even saying that you can get saved after you go to hell, which... Makes absolutely no sense to me at all. Um, Especially for a guy that, that doesn't even believe there is a hell, so that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I think I think his logic is, if there is a hell, you could still be saved from it. And I'm like, if I was in hell, I'd be saved a tenth of a second after getting there. <laughs> like, nobody's going to be yeah. there. So, cause, well, that, that goes back to old social gospel. Some some of those people, like Fosdick, or going back to the, the liberalism, modernist movement, some of these people believe that, like, hell's maybe, if, if there is a hell... It's only for a temporary amount of time. Like you'll be there, you kind of learned your lesson. Now, now God, He loves you so much, He's going to reach out and take you out of there. Well, sounds like a good theory until you read the Bible, and that's not what hell's described as. It's described as forever. You, you make a choice in life, and if you die in disbelief, that's where you're going to end up. Okay, so that that's it. So all these theories and stuff, how I would have done this is the men saying, 
well, God kind of got it wrong, and this is how I think he should have done it. Therefore, that's how God's going to do it. That's silly. Well, what's wrong with people? Yeah, it's like, it's like I'm sorry, God's not going to be like, you know what? You're right. I was totally wrong in setting this up. I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go ahead and fix that for you really quick. I am so glad I made you because you're the guy that set me straight. Exactly. I mean talk talk about the arrogance. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um so so you know what one of the other aspects within this whole social justice push is kind of this feminist push as well. Of you know, you know, there's getting rid of they're getting rid of gender roles altogether there's the push for you know women pastors there's you know like even even just the push within the church of you know taking away just the different gender roles um you know and and i think that that tends to be dangerous because of the theological implications for that as well um what's what's your take on just kind of like feminization of the church to a certain degree well the church is again since we have such a cultural church this is what we're seeing in culture so the trends in culture are just swinging right into the church. Now, the Bible defines specifically the, the specific um, qualifications for an elder or deacon. And first of all, it's interesting to note that in every sense when they're talking about it, it refers to him, he, or his, all male forms. Okay? Now, this wasn't disputed in the church, the Christian church, until recent times. This is the way it's been. But with culture now, and liberal culture, so prevalent in churches today, now we're letting those ideas come in. Hey, women can do this and, and, and that sort of thing. And women certainly have their place in church, but it's not as a pastor. It's not as a teacher. Now this is, well, you know, back then that's just, that was cultural. That's the way God put it in the Bible. Okay. So if God would have wanted it written or said any other way, he's the master of language. He created language. It would have been said in such a way that that would be biblically provable. It's not. You have to ignore scripture. You have to twist scripture. A man's role, just like God set it up, head of the family, head of the, the church. So that's, now, that's not to say that women are slaves. It's not to say that women don't have a say to, to help the husband or in the church, the, the pastor, but they are not to rule over or be that pastor. And nor is a man to be a dictator, okay? All authority to humanity comes from God. So he delegates authority. So he delegated authority to individuals. In our country, we delegated some of that authority to form our government, our constitutional republic. So it's all delegated authority. As long as government stays within the bounds of the Constitution, then it is lawful authority. As long as a man stays in bounds of what God delegates him as to be the father, a lot of responsibility comes with this, and the leader and the husband of the household, then his authority is legitimate. When he goes outside that authority, any authority, whether it be a man or government, the authority becomes illegitimate at that point. God's delegated authority to them is no longer valid. That's something we need to keep in mind as well. Yeah, and you know, and I think the thing that we also need to remember about this is the 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 theological reason behind why God set up these different gender roles, both within the church and even just within like marriage and relationships and that sort of thing. It's supposed to be a reflection of our relationship with God between our mm-hmm. between our relationship with Christ. And the the reason is is because in in this kind of like symbolic uh, reminder of of this is that you have like the hu- the husband is taking on the role of Christ who laid his life down for the church, and the wife is taking on the role of the church in in how we submit to Christ. And so like my thing is like I'm looking at it as a man. I'm looking at okay, looking at my wife or looking at women in general. Like they're supposed to be my example of how I'm supposed to be in relationship with Christ. 
And what's happening is that when we attack this, I think what's I think what we're end up doing is when we're taking away these gender roles, we're taking away that example of how we're supposed to live our life according to the scripture, but also with the gospel and with our relationship with Christ. I think that that's why this is kind of dangerous is that God set this up for a reason. It's not it's not just a arbitrary hierarchy that he just made up out of thin air. It's like you look at the Old Testament Almost everything in the Old Testament is like a symbol of Christ looking forward or a symbol of some kind of lesson that he wanted to teach us. And I think that that's kind of what we're missing, I think, today. Well, it's it's just yet another attack on God's designed order. The way God designed things is the perfect and best way for things to work. Start going against that designed order, the whole thing starts breaking down. You start seeing the problems that's so rampant in the world today. You see, uh, you know, the... the abortions and unwed pregnancies and and even you know one of the causes of the left poverty um not that the christians are you know for poverty right there's such a thing as christian charity and that's something that we need to reclaim and take back yes christians are to be charitable to people and another word for charity is love salvation army for instance was to help people that needed help and food but the great thing about it was it wasn't just a word salvation army the word of God was given to these people. You come in to get a meal, you were going to hear about God. So it was an opportunity, and this is the way we should look at any good work, is an opportunity to tell lost people the good news of Jesus, or maybe a baby Christian, some encouraging words and help get them moving towards a, a path of more uh, maturity in the faith. So, yeah, th- this whole idea, and, and you know, Beth Moore, the interesting thing about her now, because she's really pushing, kind of came out and did that, but you see some of this intersectionality going on, too. I saw uh, Ron Burns, aka Thabiti. How do you say it? Anna Wilby or something? I just I, I just call him Thabiti. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go with that. So um, I, I saw recently, well, it's been a few weeks ago, a story where he's coming out, kind of supporting her, Beth Moore, in her idea that women should be preachers, and she's kind of returning the compliment, so to speak, or the favor by telling him, yeah, we, we need to, to be more involved with uh, reparations and this sort of thing. So you're, you're seeing um, even these uh, people teaming up a little bit through intersectionality. Now we have different things, but we have the same cause and same purpose. So I find that interesting as well. And it's predictable that they're going to uh, move as one. As, as Satan can get some of his different disparate groups together to fight, as Herbert Marcuse said, we need to create a coalition of victims. Herbert Marcuse the Frankfurt School. A big cultural Marxist push in this country. And uh, that coalition of victims is alive and well today. Yeah, and we... It was we a great strategy. Yeah, no, we see it being impl- implemented in the secular society. I mean, we, we see every single victim group you can possibly think of are joining together, banding together, and becoming like kind of one big group, uh, which kind of defeats their purpose. Um, but but I think that we're, we're seeing that happening now, you know, like you're saying, with within the church as well. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the one thing that I usually caution people is it's hard for me to take people seriously who claim that God told them to go into ministry audibly. People, you know, like, you know, Beth yeah. Moore, Beth Moore makes that claim as if that's supposed to override and trump anybody's criticism. It, you know, and we saw that with, like, we've seen that with Chuck Smith, we've, with Calvary Chapel. We saw that with Mark Driscoll, with Mars Hill. Like the list kind of goes on and on. I mean, I mean, even John Piper's claimed that God's talked directly to him. Like a lot of these guys, they do this, and I think what ends up happening, it gives them a certain level of credibility where you 
if you're questioning them, you're questioning God because God's the one that audibly called them into ministry, which makes it very dangerous because, again, isn't that what all the cult leaders said? Like uh, the Mormon leader and Jehovah's Witness and virtually every other cult leader is basically God told me to do this. Gives them credibility. You can't criticize them anymore. You see that in National Apostolic or the New Apostolic Reformation where they claim to be new apostles. Therefore, they're getting authority directly from God. You see a lot of this in the emergent church. You see it in a form in the business church model, the seeker-friendly model. The CEO of the church, a church leader, he's not to be questioned. He casts a vision. This comes directly from God. And if you question anything about it, then you're not opposing just him. You're opposing God. Yeah, it's a pretty powerful platform to come from, except for the Bible doesn't talk about that sort of thing. You're not getting these audible voices from God. Now, they may be hearing voices. Some of them might be. But it's not the voice of God. Satan also has, if you allow certain influences in your life, the ability to audibly speak to you through demons. So um, I'm not saying these people did. That's not my what I'm saying. But I'm saying that either these people are hearing something, not of God, or they're making stuff up to try to, uh, as you said, prop up their own authority. And, you know, you need to re- I keep getting back. We need to be reading our Bibles and say, you know, I'm not seeing this in the Bible. This is. This is outside of what the Bible says is going to happen. This goes in the realm of mysticism. A lot of the New Age stuff and even occultic stuff is now in the church today. And it's openly proclaimed that you're calling people like Richard Rohr, who's a Catholic mystic, as a, a Christian uh, theologian. You have Ruth Haley Barton, who's a New Age guru. There's a local church here that said, and they quoted her and said, well, she's a, Christ, she's a well-known Christian theologian. There's nothing Christian about her. She's New Age. And people don't know any better. They're just sitting there taking all this stuff in, getting more and more confused the more they listen to it. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think with a lot of these guys that make that make claims like this, I feel like there's only one of three options about about them, right? Number one, they're lying. They're disqualified from ministry. Number yep. number two, they're hearing voices in their heads and they need to go to get checked out because that's a mental condition. Or number three yep. Demons are talking to them. Thus, they're disqualified from ministry because they're more than likely not saved if they're having communication with demons. So which which of the three options is like the the least problem problematic? <laughs> I, I think all three of them are, are, whenever you hear that, with those three options being the case, I think we should dismiss what they're saying and kind of file that away. Not only that, but take a look at the people they're defending these folks who are aligning themselves with them. You know, birds of a feather flock together, as they say. Um, we need to, to keep track of who's associating with who in that, that realm. And a lot of times you'll see them just, you know, one person or one celebrity is being propped up by another celebrity, and it kind of goes back and forth. Well, Satan says that some of his ministers, well, the Bible says that his ministers of Satan will be appearing like Satan does as an angel of light. And uh, some of these people have you fooled. They are nice presenters. They, they speak well. He's always looking for Satan. He's always looking for people that can speak well, right? Salesman's what he's looking for, con men. But uh, that being the case, we are to still know better because it's not how you present it. It's what you're saying. Is it true is it, or is it not true? Is it biblical or isn't it true? But like you, we were talking about a while ago, people are willing to take an element of lie because it's presented so well and it sounds so good. And that's when we run into trouble. We start making those compromises. 
Yeah. Well, you know, and I think, and I think that this also kind of leads into this celebrity mindset that we do have within the church where people are willing to make exceptions for their favorite person and make excuses and explain away a lot of the problematic things that they're saying, you know, whether, you know, and this goes for any number of leaders, whether it's Beth Moore or Piper or MacArthur or, you know, you, you could just go down the list and name virtually every single famous, you know, pastor that's out there is that they all have a following that when push comes to shove and they say something even just slightly problematic, they just explain it away. Oh, well, that guy's been faithful, a faithful minister of God for 50 years. How could you criticize him? It's like, yeah. that doesn't justify error. He could be faithful for 50 years, but tomorrow he could sin and mess up and need to repent. Like, we can't keep making these excuses for guys. And I think that that's how a lot of this cultural Marxism and social justice has been infiltrating the church is because it's these celebrity pastors that have ushered it in and everybody looks the other way because they love their favorite celebrity pastor. Well, before they realized what was going on before uh, cultural Marxism, they knew of this. They were reading their books and listening to these men. And, and they say good things in their book, and they say good things in their sermon or speaking engagements. I mean, I, I could point to several of these people. Pretty much all of them will tell you some biblical truth. They have a pretty good knowledge of the Bible, and they can tell you some biblical truth. Well, again, that's the bait. That's to get you to come in. Oh, well, so-and-so's book, you know, it really meant a lot to me. It helped me out. Well, that's great. But that doesn't give him a blank slate to redefine the Bible and the gospel and Jesus and heaven and hell and salvation doesn't give him that slate. Now you need to, now that you're a little bit more aware, I hope, you know, when you look at someone, you talk to them about stuff, you might see him a little bit differently, but if he's got that celebrity star status in your eyes where they can do no wrong, there's a real problem there. The only person who never did any wrong was Jesus Christ. Everybody else is flawed. You and I, now maybe not you, but, but I'm flawed. So um, the problem there is, we're fallible. And we, we, every time, be as the Bereans, the Bible tells us, they compared the word and the Bible, the scriptures, every day the words that people were speaking. And that's what we need to be doing. Yeah, John Piper can be very convincing. Uh, John MacArthur has said some stuff that I absolutely agree with, a lot of stuff that I'd agree with. But that doesn't give him leave to be able, or any of them, to, to speak things that aren't true. Yeah. You know, it, each thing you say stands on its own, right? Right. If I'm wrong in an area, I'm wrong in that area. It doesn't matter how right I've been. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Now, if I'm wrong, I should not have a pride about it. And the unfortunate thing with a lot of these people is they've built ministries and reputations. And that becomes the overriding concern for them is protecting that ministry and, and uh, reputation. That's where they make their money. That's where their following comes from. They like being popular. They like being looked up to. Wouldn't it be nice to see one of these people humble themselves before God, admit they were wrong, and actually come back to being something useful for the for God's work rather than useful for their own ministry? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, think 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 about it. In what is it, Acts seventeen? When it's talking talking about the Bereans again, I'm just throwing it off the top of my head. Yeah, I believe um, so. They're questioning the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority <laughs> of the New Testament, like. If they can question the Apostle Paul, you and I can question any of these celebrity pastors. I mean, when you when you put that yeah. in comparison, like none of these guys are of the status of Paul, who literally went to heaven and back, like literally, and it wrote the majority of the New Testament. Like, sorry, but these the rest of these guys are even less infallible than than Paul is. <laughs> Paul actually had the Holy Spirit indwell, you know, inspire yeah. him to write God's word, you know. 
And I think, and I think that that's the, that's the dangerous thing that we're in right now is it's like, you're not allowed to question authority. It's like the same thing we're seeing in politics. It's like, you can't question the status quo. Why not? You know, and that, that's the, I think that's the frustrating part right now going on inside the church. Now it's important for us to be able to uh, rightfully do these things to, you know, not just to be nitpicking on some small stuff. I mean, there's going to be disagreements on style and different things like that. that that's fine. Um, we don't have to agree on that or other things along that line. But the major stuff, if you're saying something that's unbiblical, that's a real problem. If you're teaching that, that's a problem. And these are likable people, as I said, and they're well-known. And they've, you know, and the problem with sometimes, well, I've been liking so-and-so, uh, Rick Warren, for years and years. So it's kind of almost uh, people don't like to admit that they were wrong maybe for years and years. But again, I'm willing to look at anything as, as more information becomes available to me as I get a, a better knowledge of the Bible, that sort of thing. I'm willing to look at people and say, wait a minute, that's a false teaching. Okay, not that I'm so smart. I don't have to be that smart. I just have to be smart enough to read the Bible. Yeah, that's it, where it's at. Yeah, well, you know, in, in, in like looking at it, like I'm looking at like my life, right? I used I used to love John Piper all the time, like you know, and I I first learned about him going to going to Shepherd's Conference when I was in college, and then I started reading his books. I really liked his books, but then more recently, I'm like studying, and I'm like, this final salvation stuff doesn't sit well with me. His right. teaching on Christian hedonism it doesn't doesn't sit well with me. And then and then I start studying, and I'm like, how how do you, how do you believe that you're not saved by faith alone? Like you actually teach that, that you're only justified, but then you're saved after you do all your good works. And if you do enough good works in your sanctification process, that's a false gospel, right? Like I'm not just like misinterpreting it or whatever. Like if you teach that you're not saved by faith alone, that's not the gospel. And why did Christ have to die? If if you could somehow do it with works. I mean, the Muslims believe um, if you don't die in jihad, that the scrolls, there's two scrolls that will be rolled out by Allah. All the good deeds you've did and all the bad deeds you've did. And the longer of those two scrolls determines your eternal destiny. You either go to the garden or their paradise, or you will go to hell, depending on the length of your scroll, which one's longer. And that's basically what Piper's saying, that you have to have some words in there to, to get final salvation, right? That's nonsense. The Bible doesn't say that at all. This is what happens when some of these so-called theologians start getting big heads. People tell them how smart they are. And they want to show how much smarter they are. They, they kind of their pride runs away with them. Now they start feeling like they're some sort of apostle where they can start defining or redefining the faith when it's in a disagreement with the Bible completely. That's foolishness. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and again, it's just why, why, why does nobody else, any of the big names, confront this kind of teaching? That's the that's the thing that like it just boggles my mind about some somebody like Piper. And something as blatant as like what he's teaching, and nobody is confronting this except a hand a handful of us. And I know Brandon's talked about it. I know you you and Sam have talked about it. I've talked about it. Like, but any of the big names that you see on any of the platforms, they're looking the other way at actually a compromised gospel. Like, not even just like a peripheral thing, but like an actual compromised gospel. And they'll still platform the guy. They'll still speak with him. And, of course, that helps them, too. When you bring in John Piper, that's a big name. You bring in his people. So John Piper equals money. John Piper equals a wider platform for you. So bringing John Piper in or any of these other guys, you're right. They platform each other. They they support each other. 
because it's good for business. And that's what ultimately is it's business for yeah. these guys. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's really sad that that's the state of the church today is that it's coming down to book deals, you know, the speaking circuit, you know, which conferences you're going to speak with, who, who you're going to be invited by and all that kind of stuff. It's like, when, when did the church become like, like this, this is a more recent development, right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the rock star society or the movie star society. You know, how we just hold these, these, in a lot of instances, some pretty rotten people up uh, because we like a role they played in the movie. And these are the same things. These are the rock star pastors, the rock star big names. People are drawn to worship something. And, and sad to say, there's a lot of people are worshiping men rather than worshiping God. But that, that desire to worship God puts in us. And it rightfully goes to God, but it can be redirected by Satan to worship men. And that's what we're seeing. Men and women are, are having adulation, adoration towards them by people that should save that sort of worship to Christ alone. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 to- I totally agree. Um, so you know, kind of what I wanted to do now is, is we'll kind of wrap up here. Um, and you know, for, for those of you guys that are watching over, uh, on the recording on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that kind of stuff, I'm going to ask Patrick one last question. Um, uh, but you guys aren't going to see it unless you guys are members of Plugged In, but I'm going to be asking Patrick about what he believes is the most dangerous false teaching that we're seeing in the church right now and, uh, and what, and how we sh- how we need to respond to it. So, uh, if you guys want to see, uh, his answer to that question, make sure you guys, uh, make sure you guys sign up, join. You guys can see the recording after, but only G- uh, the plugged in members will be able to see the question and Patrick's answer. So, uh, make sure you guys go ahead and do that. Uh, yeah. So- and, you know, and you, you've, and you've got your, your book coming out, darkened pulpits, uh, you know, coming out soon. So everybody, everybody stay up on that and you make sure you guys order that when that becomes available. <laughs> Um, and then uh, you've got your podcast that you co-host with Sam, uh, the Shining Light Podcast. How how can people uh, keep up with any of the stuff that you guys are doing or podcasts you guys are putting out and that sort of thing? We got the Shining Light uh, Podcast or ShiningLightMinistries.com. So you can go there and you can you can catch uh, podcasts there and articles we've written. You've also got on Gatekeepers Online, so uh, you can go there and you can you can see stuff too. But um, um, yeah, that that's our page, and that's where we um, put our stuff. In fact, the um, next podcast we do will be our 100th one. We've done 99. Our next one will be our 100th one. That's so, that, uh, that's, a, that's a big that. accomplishment in the, in the in the podcasting world because I feel like a lot of people that they start them, but then you know it kind of fizzles out after a little while. But a, a hundred is it's that, that's some commitment right there. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> Got a little bit of a cold, as we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> so, yeah. Well, you know, just... Yeah, .com, um, that's where we're at. Um, we've got some stuff on Facebook, too. But uh, if you want to want to see us and see us in our... Well, I was going to say our full glory, but I don't know if that's the word. But uh, you can go there and you, you can topically look stuff up. But uh, with 100 podcasts, we've covered quite a few topics over time. And uh, there's still a lot more to talk about, like you said, which is unfortunate. Um, I'd rather live in a world where where Christ was king and uh, everything was was going along with the biblical ethic. But that's not the time God placed us in. So um, the calling he's given us is a noble one. And that's what we're going to continue to do. All glory to God. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like what Paul was saying. I believe it was how he opened was it Galatians again, off the top of my head. But where he, where he was saying, I wish that I could have written to you about about our common you know salvation. But 
instead I have to deal with all these false teachings. And, you know, I feel like that's kind of, that's kind of where we're at right now. Like I, I wish that, you know, the first book that I ever worked on wasn't a confrontation of the gospel, like social justice is. I wish it was more of like a, you know, here, here's the best way to pray or, you know, here's, here's how to, you know, spiritually grow or something like that. Not having to confront all of this craziness, you know? So I don't know, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's nuts out there. So, so we 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 have both addressed those issues, the false teachings, but we also, with articles and even our podcast, we will also address some of the other issues, like for the Christian, not just showing you what's wrong, but what's right. And I think that's important to stand for biblical truth and to present that as well. So um, sometimes you know you feel like you're you get going and you got to fight all the bad stuff, but um, we like to to kind of not just talk about the false teaching, but also. The truth of the Bible, that's important. You have to equip Christians, not just for what's wrong, but also for what's right. Yeah, very, very true. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we could do this. You know, I was looking forward to this and I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like we covered a lot of ground, but it was, it's, it's a lot of important topics for what's going on today. So th- thanks so much for coming on, Patrick. Oh, it's my pleasure and honor. Thank you, Jeff, for uh, inviting me. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, again, we'll, we'll do it down the road sometime. Again, it's like one of those things, like we could probably have enough topics to talk tomorrow with, with the, the turnover right yeah. now in the news cycle. So, um, I'll try to have my voice back to normal, too. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, de- de- definitely definitely feel better, for sure. And then uh, yeah. and, th- and then for everybody else th- that's watching, uh, make sure you guys are uh, subscribing uh, to the YouTube page if you guys are watching the recording. Uh, again, a reminder, go on over to gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in. You guys can sign up for our uh, membership program. Um, and again, you get the live stream of these podcasts. You get uh, access to the pre-recorded podcast the day early. Um, and we're going to be adding some more perks in there as well. I know that we're going to be doing our first online conference coming up in the first quarter of 2020. And uh, I know we're going to have some special announcements about some uh, really big discounts on that as well for members only. So just make sure you guys sign up. We'll keep you in the loop with what's going on. And uh, we'll, we shall see you guys next week. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforumc.org. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforumc.org.